Welcome to Recorded, a podcast from The National bringing you a collection of topical interviews, interesting discussions and sometimes random stories. Jane Goodall is considered the world's most prominent chimpanzee expert and became famous in the 1960s when she went to Tanzania to study the primates without any scientific qualifications. I'm Aisha Khan, a podcast producer, and I'm joined by Ashley Stewart, culture editor at The National, who interviewed Jane recently. So I thought Jane was a scientist first, but that's not true, right? Jane comes from a non-scientific background. She'd read a lot of books about animals and about chimpanzees and had saved up money waitressing to get a boat ticket to go to Kenya. Um, while she was there, she met another scientist who got her who got her a um, study grant to go into Tanzania and live with a bunch of chimpanzees. And while she was there, she spent six months trying to get as close as possible to them. And then I think it was with about a month left of her study grant. She hadn't had anything to show for herself until then. But she discovered one of them uh, stripping a, a branch and using it as a tool to... I think, put into a termite mound and That's pulling amazing. out termites. Yeah, it's amazing. And she was just hanging out there, like watching them with her binoculars and things like that. So this kind of upended modern science because at that time, humans were the only ones that were believed to be using tools and making tools. I mean, obviously, that was a massive foundation for her and how she launched herself into the conservation realm. But these days, she's so passionate about climate change and activism and conservation and and getting the youth into helping out. In 1986, I went to a conference in America and for the first time we brought the people who by then were studying chimpanzees in about six different African countries. And the idea was to find out how chimp behavior was the same or different in different environments. But we had a session on conservation, and it was shocking that right across Africa, forests were going, chimp numbers were dropping, there was the bushmeat trade, uh, chimps being caught in snares, people moving deeper into the forest, taking disease with them. We also had a session on conditions in some captive situations. So in those days, medical research, and it was a shock. And I couldn't sleep after seeing our closest relatives, highly social beings, in five-foot-by-five-foot cages alone, just surrounded by metal bars. And the only contact really was people in white coats coming to stick needles and things into them. So I went to the conference as a scientist and I left as an activist. Ashley, when you met Jane, did you feel she was an optimist or a realist? She's constantly stressing the issues that we have to overcome and change. Otherwise, she said, the future is basically going to be pretty grim and bleak. Climate change is due to the so-called greenhouse gases that form a blanket around the globe and trap the heat of the sun. And that's caused mainly carbon dioxide emissions from our reckless burning of fossil fuel, a lot of which comes from here. Uh, but in addition, as more and more people eat more and more meat, so there are billions and billions of animals in factory farms and huge herds of cattle in Africa, Latin America. And they all have to be fed. And 
areas are cleared to grow the grain to feed them. And that includes a lot of forests, because when you first cut down the forest trees, the soil is very rich. And um, in addition, it uses a lot of water to change animal uh, uh, vegetable protein to animal protein. Plus, the animals create gas in their digestion. We do too. And that's methane. That's uh, even more virulent, but luckily less prevalent. So, you know, we have all these gases accumulating. Uh, we are using up natural resources in some areas close, um, faster than Mother Nature can replenish them. We've got 7.2 billion people on the planet today. And it's estimated in 2050 there'll be 9.7 billion. Well, that's just sheer maths. And all you're saying is, what can nature do? And then, you know, criticism that, yeah, well, it's pointing a finger at the developing world is not true. Simply not true. One child growing up, say, in, in Dubai or Abu Dhabi in an affluent family will use probably at least six, if not ten times more natural resources than um, an African child. What are the sorts of initiatives that Jane Goodall has put in place to try and fight this sort of thing? One of the key things that she is working on at the moment, and especially in the UAE, is her Roots and Shoots program, which was started in 1991 and aims to connect young people with um, community outreach programs and things like that to work on environment and conservation and humanitarian issues. So it's existed here in the UAE for, I think, about seven years. Encourages young people, kindergarten, university, everything in between, even some adult groups now, to, they, and they get to choose three, at least three projects, one to help people, one to help animals, one to help the environment. They get to choose themselves. They're passionate. And so that began with 12 high school students in Tanzania. It's now in more than 50 countries. And the main message there is for everybody, not just the youth, that every day, every one of us lives, we make some impact on the planet. And we get to choose. We get to choose the kind of impact we make. So we start thinking about the little choices we make each day. What do we buy? Where did it come from? Did it harm the environment? Was there cruelty to animals? Uh, is it cheap because of child slave labor or sweatshops? And so when billions of people start making ethical choices each day, we move towards a better world. We have roots and shoots all over China, all over Tanzania, every single American state, just about all the, the Western European countries and beginning to move outwards, going slowly across South America. And um, the last area was, you know, UAE, but it's growing here. And the children are very passionate, just like they are everywhere once they get, you know, once we listen to them and empower them to take action. But I believe you talked to her about Davos, which has received criticism with all these people flying into the conference from all over the world. Um, What did she say about that? So Jane, 
I think she goes to Davos most years, but she was aware that there had been a huge amount of criticism in terms of all these world leaders flying in on their private jets and just talking about um, things that they planned to do without necessarily achieving anything. But she did mention that she believes there was a there was a place for Davos or else she wouldn't go each year. Environment, climate change was at the top of the agenda. Never has been before. And it was, you could just see the difference. There were no plastic bottles anywhere. Everything was, was different. And, you know, even Trump committed to planting lots of trees. <laughs> Although whether he's going to, he, he committed to a hundred million. So I'm not quite sure where he's going to find the money for that. So the young people have been gradually getting more and more aware. And, you know, they're learning about it in school now. Without question, Greta has raised awareness. I think with the stats on how climate change and population and all these things are happening, it can be quite frightening for most people. How does she maintain hope? She maintains hope because without it, she says there's going to be an inaction and uh, apathy and things like that, and people won't be doing anything. So she says she's got no other option. Well, you know, first of all, the reason that I find it important to focus on those uh, positive things that are going on is because if you don't have hope, you give up, you do nothing. And that's why I started Roots and Shoots in 91, because I met so many young people who told me that they didn't have hope for the future. And that's back in 91. They were, they were depressed, they were angry, but most of them just apathetic, not seeming to care. Oh, because you've compromised our future and there's nothing we can do about it. But we have. But I think there's something we can do about it. That's why I began Roots and Shoots. So my reason for hope the greatest is is Roots and Shoots, young people, whether it's Roots and Shoots or other youth programs. Um, Secondly, this intellect, we haven't used it wisely always. Odd that the most intellectual creature to ever walk the planet is destroying its only home. And then the other, the other problem is poverty. If we can't eradicate poverty, uh, we can't save the environment. Because if you're really poor, you'll cut down the last tree to try and grow food. You'll fish the last fish to try and feed your family. So we have to alleviate poverty on the one hand, cut down on this unsustainable lifestyle that probably everybody in Dubai has, except the servants, and then the human population growth. I mean, those are three things which you can't argue with. You can misquote what I've said about population. People do, probably on purpose. But as I'm traveling around the world, yes, I learn a lot about all the awful things happening. But I meet so many incredible people doing amazing projects. And, you know, that there is a whole new attitude towards the climate, towards um, saving the forest, people understand at least, and they're beginning to be brave enough to take action. So I didn't realise that Jane had received a lot of criticism for working with oil companies. She basically said if someone is trying to do better and be environmentally conscious, no matter where the money is coming from, then she's going to take advantage of that and she's going to help them to try and feel better. So when I first took money from Conoco, that was a long time ago, when it was stood on its own, it hadn't joined up with DuPont or or Philips. 
and when they they offered to help build our sanctuary in in um, Congo, so there was a lot of Jane. You can't take money from an oil company, you know. They're making roads into the forest, blah blah blah. So first of all, I learned what Conoco was doing, and of all the companies then, probably ever, they were the most environmentally concerned. They even had their uh, seismic team going out looking for oil walking instead of driving. They had food dropped by helicopter. And they were so concerned about the environment, they even moved the soil when they were exploring and put it back again. They had bought it. Well, of course, they, 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 they didn't have enough support, so they failed. That's why they had to be taken over. But I started really trying to go through this and thinking, I'm using their products. I'm flying, I'm driving. And, you know, people are buying it. We always tend to blame the producer, but so you blame a certain company because it's harming the environment, but you're still buying their products. So Jane talks a lot about her mother. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so it's quite clear that her mother played a big part in her life. Her mother was the one that first inspired her to go to Africa and even came out to spend, I think it was four months with her um, while she was there. So a lot of what she says kind of harks back to what her mother told her. And this was uh, one of the comments she made about her mother. I think the message of my mother to me when I was 10 and everybody laughed at me because I wanted to go to Africa and live with wild animals. Uh, actually, it was World War II raging. But mum said, if you really want something like this, you're going to have to work really hard, take advantage of opportunity. Don't give up. And those were some beautiful words from Jane Goodall's mother, advice that still rings true for young people fighting climate change today. Thank you, Ashley, for walking us through the interview. Subscribe to Recorded for more insightful interviews 